I am Andrea Butcher, and this is Being at Work. Being a leader is hard. So on this show, I set out to talk with experienced leaders to learn from their pivotal moments, how they led through the challenges we can all relate to but are often unheard. Today's guest says, the world is throwing me growth opportunities every day. Nick Smorelli is the CEO responsible for the growth, culture, and management of GoodellNet Technology Solutions, whose core purpose is to power the missions of their clients. They believe in improving workflows and delivery of service through the effective use of technology. The organization has received numerous accolades, including the Best Places to Work designation and one of the 25 fastest growing companies in both St. Louis and Indianapolis. As a leader, Nick has chosen to invest heavily in operations, continuous improvement, culture, and transformation. The organization believes in three values that Nick will talk about today, grow or die, 100% responsibility, and make an impact. These values are the foundation of every decision in the organization. And as Nick will share, the team is compensated on their ability to live these values. During our conversation, Nick shares a pivotal moment in his career when transitioning from high-performance individual contributor to high-performance leader. He called himself a garbage leader in his earlier career and learned a lot about getting results through others. Check it out. The journey truly started in St. Louis. I, uh, I, I went to school in St. Louis, went to St. Louis University, where I met the two other owners of GoodellNet. Uh, our journey didn't start for another you know, 10 years after that, but I uh, moved from St. Louis to New York City to Shanghai, China, to Charlotte, to Atlanta, um, and then back to Indy uh, with a company called Ingersoll Rand. I worked for them for about eight years, and then I uh, made the journey over to GoodellNet in 2010. I was uh, employee number four, um, and then we have grown since then. I think we're up to about 120 right now. So in that kind of 10-year journey, uh, it's been fun to kind of see uh, see the evolution of the entire organization grow and just kind of see kind of my role differ. And actually, I celebrated my, my 10-year anniversary a few weeks ago. Oh, congratulations on your 10-year anniversary. That's a great milestone. Well, I appreciate that. Actually, it was pretty neat. The uh, The team put a big happy anniversary sign in the front lawn, and it was actually on the same day of my wife and I's anniversary, so it confused all of our neighbors, <laughs> but the, uh, we, we, my wife and I took dual duty, so we have this adorable, cute picture of us uh, celebrating our 10-year anniversary with us kissing each other, and then I also have my GoodellNet anniversary, so it worked out great. It's all about efficiency. That's a whole lot of anniversary in one day. It is, is far too many. It was, it was my birthday. It was a very, it was very expensive uh, two weeks of time. Yeah. Well, congrats. That's great. Yeah. And what a ride. I mean, over the 10 years, significant growth. You commented on that. And I know that today as a leader, culture is really important to you. You, you talk a lot about your values. You've invested heavily in culture. Is that like, how did that all come about? Is that natural for you? to all the, the, the career planners that told me I was crazy. So I have a degree in finance and I have a degree in psychology. And everyone said, like, you have to pick one. Like, are you, are you a kind of con- concrete thinker or are you kind of a touchy-feely unicorn thinker? And I, for me, I've always kind of straddled the line between both. And I think that's arguably why GoodellNet is in the place that it is because I think I've been able to kind of manage having both a good culture, but also a good fiscal prudence and understanding kind of return on investment of investing 
in people and creating a great organization and even investing in your communities and the environment and all the things that are kind of, again, give you a good, strong purpose as to why you come to work. You know, there's the touchy feely part of it is, is so important to me. I mean, again, I, I want to create a place that people want to wake up and, and love coming to. But at the end of the day, I do it because I know it creates a better company because ultimately speaking, I don't care how many great values I have. Um, if I'm not creating a sustainable organization, then, then I'm doing nobody a service. So I think I've, I've done a good job of straddling the line of both. But culture comes arguably easier to me than, than the finance side of things. I've always been very attuned to kind of the needs of others. I, a particularly empathetic person, for better or for worse. Um, and so as a result, it, I think it's kind of shaped us as an organization because I think truly, I, I think the people we've hired have kind of echoed a similar sentiment. Yeah, what what a great combo, finance and psychology. It's kind of the uh, yeah, it's kind of a, a weird one. Um, and and the finance people always said that my psych degree was easy, and the psych people just never understood what I was doing in, in the business school. So it worked out great. It was very confusing, and I had very odd friends uh, along the way. But it it was a good journey. And no doubt are such an important part of who you are today as a leader because you think in both ways, which makes you stronger. The balance of that makes you a stronger leader. It does create a little bit of like, you know, cognitive dissonance in the sense sometimes of, okay, well, I, I know this is right culturally, but it doesn't make sense financially. So I kind of feel like, you know, that, that, that red angel, white angel on each side of your shoulder, I often get the, the finance psychology side on each shoulder kind of pulling me both directions. But if you ask anybody, I tend to err on the side of the, uh, the psychology part of things. Yeah. Well, but just the juxtaposition of that creates this opportunity for a fuller solution because you're thinking about all of it. Absolutely. And you have to. Again, the balance. Yeah, that's great. Well, earlier in your career, you uh, you called yourself, when you and I were talking initially, you called yourself a garbage leader, which I know there's a lot of humility behind that. You probably weren't nearly as bad as you're making yourself out to be. But you talked a lot about uh, learning to get results through others. So tell us about that time in your life and what you learned. I say that with pretend humility, but I think I was I was probably even... Uh, reducing the amount of kind of how poor of a leader that I was. And I think that's also, again, as you look at Cadell and that, how much I invest in leadership training is because of that experience as well, of just knowing kind of how lost I was and how I had the best of intentions. So, but I truly was garbage in terms of all the things that I think I've grown into. And I, I'm frankly, while I have a sense of confidence that I'm a, a pretty darn good CEO right now, I look forward to, you know, 2030 and you know, you and I having another podcast and, and 10 years and laughing about what a poor leader I was today, you know, as, because that means I've evolved and learned and gotten better. So I, uh, I hope it's one of those things as well. But the, the reality is, again, I had kind of moved up the ladder fairly quick at Ingersoll Rand, um, which is flattering. Um, I, again, I, I was given an opportunity to do an international assignment. I was the youngest director. This is a 60,000 person organization um, in the company. And, you know, for me, it was it was a really cool opportunity for me to take over this kind of 11 person sales team. And I went in there and and kind of expected everyone to act and think and do and achieve the exact same way I did, because look at me, look how great I am, look how much I'm capable of achieving. And I think one of those slap in the face moments was a I think four people left within the first six months was this kind of reality of kind of the critical skills of leadership. You know, I, I was never painting a picture. I was never creating an opportunity for people to do their best work. I wanted them to do the work that I wanted them to do in the way that I wanted them to do it. And I think that was, I just, I just look at myself and I almost cringe at 
the uh, the Excel documents I forced them to produce and these others reporting of kind of what behaviors are you doing? And I don't care about your results. I care about how you got them and just really just kind of missing the mark in, in true good leadership. And, um, and I'm thankful for it. I'm thankful that a few of those folks still call me a friend, which I think is is unbelievable. And I'm thankful for the moment because I feel like it provided me I would say a fairly substantial part of who I am today in learning from that experience. How did you come to realize that, okay, I've, I'm, I've lost my way here. This isn't, this isn't working. You know, it took me, it probably took me longer than um, normal intelligent human beings did. It, uh, I think it took me a bit from having those individuals leave. Um, and I think the reality is, is I, I took a slow shift in kind of recognizing I needed to surround myself with peers that I really respected for their leadership skills. And it was really kind of a set of mentors that really kind of pointed out very quickly kind of the mistakes I'd made. But I would say, again, like I said, I'm not, I'm not proud of some of these things, but I think a lot of the reason I, I left Ingersoll Rand was this feeling of, of just recognizing that, well, you know, people aren't doing it my way. I'm going to go do it mine and let me go start a business. And so fortunately, somehow, some way in that journey between big enterprise to small business, I was able to keep my my natural tendencies in check and, and really come, kind of become a better leader because now it's become habitual. But you know, I think a lot of a lot of that shift I credit to twenty six years old. Um, what was I? I had, I had no place doing what I was doing, and and so for me, I think it was it was this journey to Gadelnet that really kind of helped shift it. And then surrounding myself with far more intelligent, far more gifted leaders that continuously reminded me of of my opportunities, and that really kind of helped shape who I am today. The 11-person sales team that you took over, did you have relationships with them in advance? They were, actually. So the, the funny thing was I was actually on that team. And so I uh, was granted a little bit of flexibility when I started because they had already known that I was a good individual contributor. They'd already known I had, had done a good job. And we actually kind of had built a, a nice rapport earlier in the process. But again, as somebody who's moved up, there's a lot of eyes on you. And I think it's funny because we do actually do this activity is part of our leadership academy course. So we we do a kind of a six month leadership training, and the first class that we do, we ask all of our teammates is you know describe the best boss. And it was amazing because as everybody said, the best qualities and the worst qualities. Not a single time in the best qualities do people say they were technically smart, they knew how to do their job. Like none of those things were even brought up. So I had the stuff of the stuff that nobody cares about and the stuff that everybody does care about. I hadn't yet developed yet. So. I was given a little bit of credibility for a month or two, but man, it uh, that only bought me a little bit of time in, until I kind of started really kind of managing people in a way that wasn't commensurate with success. So when you look back now, what do you wish you'd have gotten to support you? Because it doesn't sound like, you, you mentioned earlier that you invest a lot in leadership training. It doesn't sound like they the organization equipped you or really prepared you to lead in that situation. What do you wish you would have gotten? I think there, again, for us, we spend a lot of time at Cadellnet talking about that transition from individual contributor to manager. And while we're not, we're imperfect and we're getting better at it. One of the requirements we have for somebody moving into a manager role is they do participate in that leadership academy course. And, and that's a good learning for me is um, I was given some leadership training. Again, Ingers all ran's credit. There was a lot of training opportunities available, but I was very much left alone. I was very much left to and again to my boss's credit it was it was out of an interest in supporting me but i was i was given the flexibility and the space to say just run the team as you as you should and i think that is the right move for 
somebody who is skilled and has has run a team before, but I didn't have somebody who was there to support me. I, I wasn't I wasn't given mentors. I didn't I was 26 again. Like I didn't know that I needed mentors. And so for me, where I think I I, I would have built a better skill set is is having somebody kind of fundamentally coach me from a one-on-one management perspective. I would have looked for bigger training opportunities, and then I would have kind of garnered a, a nice uh, set of mentors to really kind of offset where my gaps were and having those really hard conversations of, okay, why are the, why are these people leaving? And I think there was such a atmosphere, especially with me, it felt like, where they were so afraid of losing me, of me quitting the company, ironically, that I feel like I was that the concept of radical candor, which is also a big theme at Cadillac. Um, coincidentally, I was never told I was doing a poor job. When people were leaving, it was their fault, not mine. So nobody was willing to have that hard conversation with me and really open my eyes. And so, you know, I had to learn it myself and almost kind of really look in, inward as my own worst critic, um, and have been ever since, really for kind of finding those development opportunities. So for me, kind of in recap, is, is surrounding myself with smart people, again, good training, and then just really candid conversations, knowing that you know high potential leaders need to be able to hear, here's where you need to work and here are your gaps. And if they can't support that, then they're probably not gonna be growing up in the organization. So being willing to have some of those hard conversations. Well, and that's where growth happens, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. This is such a common story. The high-performing individual contributor like you were. They didn't want to lose you, so let's put him in a leadership role. (laughs) So I I really appreciate how you say, Nick, that it is a transition. It's a different set of skills that need to be developed. And of course, as someone who's been facilitating leadership development for 20 years, like I'm so passionate about this because this is the story that we hear over and over Actually, Ken Blanchard's organization did a study and they found that 60% of all new managers fail or underperform in their first two years because of exactly what you're describing. Because they're left alone, they were successful in their previous role, and so the organization is hoping to provide them a new opportunity, but it backfires. I th- yeah, absolutely. And I think as an, as an organizational leader, we're really looking. You've got to have the foundational. It's anti for the job that you're good at the job. That gets you to the starting line. And so for us, it's as we, and again, we're, we're imperfect, but getting better at it as we pick our future leaders is just because I am the salesperson that sold the most, or I am the service desk engineer that closes the most tickets, or I'm, you know, whatever does not necessarily mean that I am the next person in line for leadership. Have I been the one who jumped in and, and led process? Am I the one who kind of, you know, again, steps in and motivates others? Am I the one that asks questions on where they need to improve? Am I the one who's stepping in and learning? Like those are the questions that we look for now for the future leaders. And oftentimes we're promoting not necessarily the best engineer, but we're promoting the people that we think are going to be the best leaders. And that's been a shift for, for everyone, even, even the people moving up as people assume only the best move up. And I think for us, it's this acknowledgement of, I see you as a better leader than an than a individual contributor. And that's kind of a weird conversation to have with people. Well, particularly at a certain level where you've got technical expertise within the team. And so the leadership role is less about technical expertise and more about vision and empowering people and enabling people to be successful and putting people in the right role. Right? Those leadership skills that you mentioned become more important in some ways. Well, look at me. I'm Again, like I run a technical IT uh, consulting organization and I can't fix a computer. I have technical conversations every once in a while just by osmosis. But the reality is I am not a, again, I run a computer company and can't fix a computer. So I am the, the glaring image of exactly what you spoke of. 
How would you describe your leadership philosophy? My leadership philosophy, again, it's, 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 it's easy. And the best part about being CEO is my leadership philosophy really comes across in, in the three core values. So if, I'm going to spend some time on, on those. And I'll start the first one, just considering we're coming off this concept of growth, this grow or die. And again, I always joke that our HR director uh, was furious, kind of how brash it sounds. Um, but, but the reality is it is a huge part of our, our core. Is this really, truly a concept of growth? And that comes back to, you know, again, candid conversations, providing training opportunities. We spend more per person than any other organization that I know on training than we do on sales and marketing or any other kind of other auxiliary things. Because I do believe that people are happier if they're learning and growing. And this philosophy of I don't have to be perfect gives people grace, gives me grace that I don't have to be perfect um, because I know that I'm on a trajectory of, of learning. And I think that just it just creates a better organization. I also joke that it's also why people love Jeopardy and they love these other things is people just love learning. And I think it's just inherent to kind of human nature. So you got that growth. And so for me, my leadership philosophy is always kind of providing opportunities for growth, having growth conversations, never letting people feel totally comfortable, again, for better, or for worse, that they're crushing it and they're, they're maximizing the potential. For me, it's always, you're doing great, but here's the opportunities for you to improve. The second one is, is this 100% responsibility. The full version of that is 100% responsibility, 0% excuses. And I run a podcast called Zero Excuses, talking about that value. And the, the, the concept of accountability, it's everything from if I'm going to call somebody at nine, I'm going to call them at nine. If it's I am committed to these goals by the end of the year, it's achieving those goals. It's the accountability of not blaming others for your circumstances. And, and that for me is just a huge one is, is understanding that, I, that you as an individual can control your reaction and control the way you respond to things that happen to you. And so this concept of accountability is just a huge part of, of my leadership philosophy because of the fact that I want people to feel like they can control their own reaction and fates and, and experience uh, at the company. And, and those that don't really hate working here um, and they leave rather quickly. And then the last one is impact, is, is really understanding at the end of the day, I don't care how you get your job done, but you're responsible for hitting the vision that we, we set forth as an organization. And you know, again, that was a good learning. It took me a long time to figure it out is, is truly understanding that the product of leadership is creating people that can kind of achieve this vision together and to see bigger parts of themselves than they even knew possible. And I think that concept of impact is big. And we talk about impact to our clients. We talk about impact to each other. Again, we just became a B Corp. So we're just a certified B Corporation. So we talk a lot about impact to environment and the impact to communities. So impact is very thematic, but but the reality from a, a leadership perspective is we're a very metric-driven organization, and it's easy to measure your impact. It's easy at the it's Friday at 5 p.m. I can reflect upon my week, and I know if I've crushed it. And I feel like that is, that's something unique. People want to know they're doing a good job. And again, setting metrics and setting those don't necessarily have to be a micromanagement. Rather, it's something to celebrate and something to know of, am I doing a good job? Can I go back to my do I have to be anxious during COVID um, of, do I have a job? No, well, I know I'm doing a good job. So as a result, I feel comfortable and I can do my best work when I'm feeling comfortable. Well, and you talk about being a metrics-driven organization and at the same time espousing these three values, but they're not just values on the wall. Like you, you talk about every decision in the organization being driven from those values and your team is compensated on their ability to live those values. What does that look like? Even in our performance review process, it's a very simple process. It's where have you made an impact? So what good things to do? What things, where have you not? So where are you holding yourselves accountable and what things are you going to do to grow? So our values, our reward system is based on it. All of our interview process is based on it. 
Um, pay increases are based on it. Anytime we select leaders, it's a it's an acknowledgement of how do you align to the three goals. Um, we do an analysis of all people every quarter of around do they have the the capacity to to get wants and and understand our values. We go through each person and say are they aligned with our values. We we had to make I mean gosh it's been four or five years now but we had to make a really hard choice. We got rid of about twenty percent of the organization in one fell swoop just because they weren't aligned with those values. So. If you come to this organization, frankly, if you come to the organization by day one and you haven't felt like you've heard those those three values to the point of being nauseous because you've heard those values so much, then I'd be really surprised. But it's it truly is kind of ingrained in every single thing that we do. If you give a compliment to somebody, we have this kind of uh, this board called Cheers for Peers, and we send about 150 or so a week. You know, it's tied back to okay, it's a cheers, but how does it tie back to our values? So every little thing uh, from as big as the performance reviews to as little as the way that we cheers people or do awards or even the words that I use and the leadership teams uses all comes back to alignment around those values. So I don't need to put them on the wall. They are, but I don't need to put them in the wall because people get it. And, and we certainly talk about them so much. Well, and their values in action. And so there's, there's a credibility behind that. No doubt people see that right away when they join the organization. It's scary. I mean, again, it's, it's, it's the hard reality of any leader's job. I mean, obviously CEO being kind of the one that people look at the most, but, but the reality is, is I am nothing if, if my leaders are not also following and living those values. And it's really kind of putting the, the burden of that, the fact that people are always watching our leaders and knowing that they must too also kind of live those values on a regular basis. Yeah, there's a call for intentionality in there, for sure. What does the next 10 years in terms of growth look like for you? H how do you, you mentioned earlier that you're excited about the next 10 years and it'll be fun for you to look back and reflect. How do you keep growth and development top of mind in the midst of all you have going on? It's hard. I mean, it's hard, honestly. And, and the good thing about this, <laughs> go, you got a pandemic, you've got uh, kind of racial unrest, you've got these other opportunities to really shine is the world is throwing me growth opportunities every day. So I, I'm not really having to seek it. 2020 has not been the year of seeking out growth opportunities. That's for sure. But but again, I, I again for me, I, I've set, again, you talk about accountability. Um, I set a goal. I read two books a month, at least. Um, oftentimes I read three or four kind of nerdy. What are you reading right now? I, I'm just finishing this book called Cast, C-A-S-T-E. Talks a little bit about kind of the the foundations of a lot of this kind of racial inequity. It's fantastic. It's it's been a it's been an interesting read. We've we've done a lot of diversity initiatives within the organization and I've wanted to continue to kind of read and have context for for a lot of stuff that frankly confuses me and frustrates me that, you know, I, I as a privileged white male, like I, I feel like I kind of need to expand my my horizons there. So I feel like reading does is for me the easiest way to continue to make sure I'm always learning. Great. What else? And what other ways do you keep your growth top of mind? We spend a ton of time. Um, I'm part of our 360 review process myself. Um, so I spend a ton of time soliciting and asking for feedback. Um, there's very rarely do I have a one-on-one. -on -one, and I do weekly one-on-ones with every one of my direct reports. I think arguably if I look upon my week, the most important part of my week is having having those discussions. It's a lot of feedback to those employees, but a lot of that is, hey, you know, where am I missing the mark and how can I get better? And so a lot of what a lot of the kind of criteria that I use for myself is driven by my specific direct reports who get fed feedback from their teams as well. We also do things like we, we do uh, we do an anonymous pulse survey every two weeks. Um, and what, some of the questions, most of the questions, frankly, are a referendum on me. 
You know, how is the organization fulfilling its vision? How, what things would you change? How is the CEO doing? And taking that feedback back and using that as an opportunity for, for me to say, hey, this is what I need to do to improve. I'm also part of uh, YPO, so the Young Presidents Organization, part of a forum group. I'm, I'm with nine other smart leaders who um, are not shy on telling me all the things I do wrong. And so for me, if you notice, there's a theme here. And my friendship group is not shy at telling me I could be better than I am. So, you know, for me, I think the reality is surrounding yourself also with people that that remind you of of your gaps and opportunities are also important. Um, and I'm lucky enough to have that. Yeah. Well, and what is that quote? We're all a combination of the five people that we hang out with the most, right? So surrounding yourself with really bright people. It, there's so much truth to that. Because, I mean, even the books that I read are coming from individuals there. So even something as trite as that really come from those conversations. So going back to inequity, it's just making sure you're surrounding yourself by by diverse thought. And I think um, that's my plug for everything right now. But my plug for becoming a better leader specifically is making sure you're not surrounding yourself with people with that, that believe and think that you are the greatest person and all your ideas are correct. So surround yourself with people that reinforce other ideas. Over and over and over, as I mean, since the beginning of our conversation, there is certainly an openness. You are have a very open mind and a curiosity, and no doubt that helps helps you to do something with all these growth opportunities that the world is giving you every day. I, I joke with other people again. I'm I could use a few weeks of no growth um, and complacency um, at this point. Just normal times would be would be lovely. But but yes, again, I I truly believe at a foundational level kind of that that willingness to learn is truly the measure of the most successful leaders today and, and in the future. It's a growth mindset, isn't it? No question. And and again, like I said, it, if there's anything that's given me more peace and more success is that growth mindset. It's just knowing you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be the smartest person in the room and you will always be better next week. Man, there's there's no better way to live than I think that. I think that's so, so spot on. There are really, there are three key takeaways from our conversation. So certainly that at a high level, just being open-minded, having a growth orientation, looking for what can I learn here? Secondly, you talked so much about surrounding yourself with the right people. So mentors, coaches, people who will challenge you, people who are growing alongside you. That has clearly been a theme throughout your career. And then lastly, you talked about asking for feedback and being willing to have candid conversations, radical candor, how important that is for your own growth. So thank you so much for sharing these leadership lessons with us today. If our listeners want to connect with you, Nick, what's the best way to do that? Absolutely. Uh, probably the best way is, is LinkedIn. Um, just let me know Let you kind of, I, I get a lot of LinkedIn requests. So just let me know that you heard me on this podcast. Happy to kind of welcome you into the circle. I do post probably once or twice a week with, with some thoughts or some best practices. So always willing to share and I'm always willing to have kind of good discussions about learning and growing. Thank you for joining us for this episode. Please subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast to never miss a being at work story.